welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I'm your host, Patty Stuckler. We're keeping it real here with straight talk and sharing true stories that will inspire you to change your life. Are you ready for this? Because here we go. a holistic doctor using like natural remedies to cure everything from colds to cancer? Well, my guest today is a holistic veterinarian. Who knew? Who knew there was such a thing? I had no idea. So I am so excited to introduce my guest today. She is a veterinary acupuncturist, a chiropractitioner, and food therapist, which is all a mouthful, but very interesting. <laughs> She's written four great books on having healthy pets and has two radio shows called Naturally Healthy Pets is one of them. And she also does a Facebook Live series every single day. And she calls that Breakfast with Spaniels. It's my honor and privilege to introduce Dr. Judy Morgan. Welcome, Judy. Thank you very much for having me on your show. It's exciting to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! I'm so excited because I'm a huge animal lover, like probably millions of Americans and, and people worldwide. I mean, I just love pets. I always have. And uh, I've had as many as six. I've had at one time. I've had, I had three dogs at one time and three cats. That was over the years. I currently have two dogs and one, one very crazy cat who thinks he's a dog. <laughs> that guy, he doesn't even, I don't even have a litter box in my house. No litter box. Oh, cause he goes outside. He goes outside 100%. He uses a doggy door, goes in and out with the dogs. Yeah. He's, although he does know he's a cat when it comes to hunting, that cat, his name's Little John. And he goes out and kills every bird, squirrel, you know, bunny, rabbit. Oh, my God. Although he, he brings them in live, of course, though, in the house. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. They're great gifts. Mine deliver them on the back doorstep. And then when the dogs run out the door in the morning, it's a race whether I can get to the roadkill before the dogs can get to it because they really don't want the dogs eating it. Although my dogs are raw fed. So, you know, I guess we're just adding to their diet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, it's so weird because actually now that it's almost Christmas, it's appropriate for this story because my cat, Little John, who I adopted from one of the the pet rescue places, and on Christmas Day, he was about seven months old, the first time he ever brought home an animal. So appropriate. I was woken up Christmas Day a year and a half ago, whatever. Well, he was a year and a half old. No, he was seven months old. I'm losing track. It was last Christmas then. Wow. Seems longer than that. But he woke me up with... A live bird in his mouth. Yeah. I was like, oh, Merry Christmas. So So he's crazy. But before I get into a lot of questions, and I have so many questions to ask you. I know that you like 70s rock, right? Is that right? You like 70s rock, like rock and roll? I do. So like who is your favorite band ever or artist of 70s? Springsteen. Springsteen. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I've seen Jersey boy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And you're from New Jersey. That's right. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> Very nice. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I've been trying to get tickets for his Springsteen on live in New York mm-hmm. because now they're doing a, a Broadway thing. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. I've been on the waiting list so many times. And by the time, you know, they send you the notification and then you get into the lottery system, it's impossible. I've given up. Wow. <laughs> it's just not but I've seen him many, many times in big stadiums. He's really awesome. Yeah. Yep. I've seen him once. It was like in the eighties, my husband and I went to see him and yeah, he was, in fact, I think it was a four hour concert. It always is always. He just goes and goes and goes and he's not slowing down with age at all. Yeah. He's just uh, (laughs) incredible how much energy he has, but Anyway, well, I just thought I'd ask you that. <laughs> well, and I have an interesting story. So I show, well, I used to show horses. I've kind of retired and so is my horse. But my kids showed horses. And Bruce Springsteen has a daughter, Jessica, who is a, the same age as my son, who's my older one. So he's 28 now. And when they were little, they were like, oh, six, seven years old. They both showed horses together. And so we were at the New Jersey horse park and our trailer was parked next to Bruce Springsteen's trainer, you know, with his daughter and his wife, Patty, were there. So the kids were showing together and I was just like, it didn't even matter how my kids did. I was just like, that's Bruce Springsteen's wife. <laughs> and I wouldn't leave. My kids were done showing. I said, like, oh no, we're sitting here all day just in case Bruce shows up. Which he didn't. <laughs> But she did. Well, you got to meet him then. So you, you really, that needs to be like something you got to do, right? Yeah. It's it's on the bucket list someday. Yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) you, you definitely, he's got to know that, you know, he's got to hear about your shows and all the stuff that you do. And obviously, you know, he's into horses, right? 
So, well, daughter is anyway. She's Olympic caliber now. My kids quit, but she's she's Olympic caliber. She's really good. It's fun to watch. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> well, so I was watching. You have amazing videos of all kinds that I I've, I watched a lot of them. In fact, in the last several wow. days, yeah. And and your cooking it just amazes me. I was like literally enthralled watching you cook this golden paste. And oh, yeah. yeah, very cool. And the ingredients. And I was fascinated because I was thinking to myself, like watching it, thinking this looks so cool to do for my dogs and they've got lots of problems. So <laughs> I, I think they could actually benefit greatly by some of this healthy cooking. But I was thinking, I don't even cook for my husband. <laughs> so I'm going to cook for my dogs. <laughs> that is a typical response. <laughs> really? And so it's, it is amazing how many people that I have coached that, so I had one woman who came to me for coaching for her dog and she said, you know, the dog's not doing well. Tell me what I can feed the dog. And the dog really was not, I couldn't come up with a commercial product that was going to do well. So I said, you're going to have to cook for the dog. And she looked at me, she said, I have never cooked a meal in my life. I don't even know how to boil water. And I store sweaters in my oven. And I said, <laughs> love it. Sweater, Robin. And she said, well, it's a box in the wall taking up space that I don't use for anything. So of course I had put sweaters in there. I was like, all right. And at the time, my office manager stored her purses and shoes in her oven. So I thought, well, maybe this is a common thing. I personally would not do it, but hey. So I actually, this woman took cooking classes to learn how to cook so that she could cook for her dog. She lived with her dad. And so she started cooking for her dad as well. So I've taught many people how to cook who don't know how. And for those who don't want to, we come up with really simple, easy recipes. And it's basically like tomorrow, Hugh and I are going to grind. We feed raw, like I said. So we're going to grind about 80 pounds of food tomorrow. We bought a really good grinder. It'll take us maybe an hour and a half to make 80 pounds of food. And then we just put it in the freezer. So, and that'll last us. We're only feeding out to two dogs. So that's a month and maybe five weeks worth of food. So we don't have to do it that often. So we, I can spend a couple of hours doing that. And so for those who cook, like if we're making a cooked meal for our dogs, we make these huge lasagna trays. And I have a lot of clients who do this. They make huge lasagna trays full of food. And it depends how many dogs you have. And obviously, the more dogs you have and the bigger the dogs are, the more food you're cooking. In our house, we go through about 180 pounds of food a month. We have eight dogs. Wow. Do you have any cats? <laughs> Do you have cats? Four right now. Four cats. Wow. Four cats. We have eight chickens, two miniature horses, and two big horses. <laughs> wow. So what kind of dogs? I know, obviously, spaniels. You're right. So we have two Cocker Spaniels, four Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, one English Toy Spaniel, and we live with my parents, and they have a standard schnauzer. Wow. And what kind of cats? <laughs> junkyard cats. So they're all rescues. The three that we call the kittens are like seven years old, but we bottle raise them. So they were always just called the kittens. So seven years later, they're still the kittens. <laughs> and then we have a 17 year old. <laughs> wow. That's it. That's a lot. That's a lot in one house. <laughs> it's a lot in one house. Luckily, it's a big house and we have a, we have two acres. So they go in and out and our cats go outside as well. And they're funny. They go in. We don't have a dog door, but they go in and out with the dogs. So we open the door for the dogs. The cats go out. We open the door for the dogs. The cats come in. It's they're kind of funny. They just they all sleep in the same beds together. They all get along really well. That is amazing. Well, I, I don't know the answer to this already because I've, I've looked at a lot of your stuff online, but maybe and maybe you already have this. And if you don't, maybe it's something you should think about. But do you have anything like that farm fresh or blue apron kind of thing where people like me and obviously a lot of other people that you know, really don't like to cook and don't have all these ingredients or don't want to go to the store and buy all these ingredients, but they wouldn't mind a box being sent. Like I used to do Blue Apron for a while, for about maybe six yeah, months. Yeah, we did too. Yeah, we did too. And, and it was cool, but, and it did teach me a lot. I, I learned what a zester was, which I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> no clue what a zester was before Blue Apron. So, I mean, like I, I didn't even know how garlic came in its natural state. I just knew I liked garlic. <laughs> No, I know how to actually cook mashed potatoes with garlic and fresh garlic and stuff. Not that I do we'll it very see often. That was good for you. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, now at Thanksgiving, you know, I will make that for Thanksgiving. But like on a daily basis, I don't. So do you have any kind of product like that? 
I do not personally, but there are many on the market and they're becoming more and more and more popular where you can, you know, you can kind of either have them custom made if you have pets with allergies or something specific that they need. But there are multiple companies now that will basically prepackage the meals and send them to you. So there are companies that make gently cooked. There are companies that make frozen raw and they basically send it to you frozen on dry ice and it's complete meals and you just thaw them out and put them in the bowl. And so it's really just as simple as any other kind of feeding. But one of the big things that people don't understand is when you read the ingredient labels on anything that you buy, it's the same as for people in the grocery store. So you start out and it might start out with a few ingredients that you actually can read and understand. And it's like, those are real words, you know, beef, beef liver, beef heart, Like, I get what that is. You know, pears, blueberries, I know what that is. And then you start seeing all these words that you can't pronounce, and there's this whole list of chemical sounding substances. Those are all synthetic, and it's usually a vitamin mineral mix that comes from China. And a lot of times that's where the contamination comes in the processed pet food. So what I would say to people who don't want to make their own meals like you, and I get it because we're all busy and it's hard to do, and a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing it because they're afraid they'll mess it up or they won't balance it or, you know, they'll screw up their pet. So there are a lot of companies now that that pre-make all of that for you. And so when you look at those ingredients and you're looking at these companies online, you want to look and see, is it complete and balanced? You know, is it going to give them everything without having to add a separate synthetic vitamin? Can you pronounce everything on the label? If you can pronounce everything on the label and it's a food that you've heard of, then it's fine. Wow. <laughs> and that's one of the ways to tell whether you're feeding something that's really good quality. Wow. And the same goes for us. You know, if there's dyes and chemicals in there, then it's not good for us. Oh, I never, I've never even really gave it that much thought. I always kind of thought, to be honest with you, to be totally honest, I always thought it was kind of a racket, you know, like <laughs> these dog foods that are, you know, like really expensive. And so I have always bought the cheap dog food, just like regular old Alpo or whatever, you know, just, you know, just regular brands you'd find in the grocery store. And I always kind of thought, but it sounds like there's really a science to it just the same as with humans. It makes oh, sense. Yeah, there, there is a huge difference. Most of the products that you're going to find in the grocery store, first of all, they're going to be loaded with a lot of carbohydrates. And cats in particular are carnivores. They're obligate carnivores. They need to be fed a high meat diet. So the diets that I feed my cats are 95% meat, bone, and organ. They get no carbo, no grain carbohydrates. They don't get anything starchy at all. So their diet has a little bit of chopped kale or pumpkin, just very, very small amounts because they need a little bit of fiber in their diet. And it also supplies some B vitamins. They get some fish, they get some eggs, but a dry kibble is absolutely not appropriate for a cat because in order for it to stick together as a kibble, it has to have about 50% carbohydrates. So when you buy a grain-free, that's kind of the new buzzword, I will buy grain-free. When you buy grain-free, it doesn't have wheat, corn, or soy, but it does have peas or potatoes or lentils or tapioca. It has something to make it stick together as a kibble, and none of that is appropriate for cats. And that's why we end up with cats that have obesity, with kidney disease, and with urinary tract problems. And so if I can just get people to switch off dry kibble and feed a high quality canned food or, you know, if their cats will eat it, go over to a raw food or a homemade diet. They're so much healthier. And, you know, cats that go outside are actually, if you're in a safe environment where they're not going to get run over or eaten by somebody bigger than them, it's actually much healthier for them to be able to do that. And, you know, behaviorally, we get a lot less problems with the cats. So my cats get to go outside, they get to hunt and chase and, you know, do natural cat things. And it keeps them from becoming obese because they're getting the exercise versus, you know, the cats that are stuck in an apartment that are not getting the exercise. But the pet food industry is really a repository for the waste products of the human food industry. So when you're looking, particularly at those bags in the grocery store, most of the meats and byproducts that are in there are rendered. So that means they're the waste products that are not suitable or or edible for human consumption. And they're melted down in a big pile at the rendering plant and then made into a big soup and then dehydrated. It's really (laughs) disgusting stuff. So it includes all the meats that have cancer in them, all the decaying, rotting meats, and they basically cook them at high temperatures. I know you're making that face. Uh, they it cook sounds them at disgusting. High- <laughs> it is disgusting. It's horrible. 
So, but they cook it at high temperatures to kill the bacteria and then just, you know, put it in pet food and say that it's perfectly appropriate. But there's a lot of dyes. The preservatives that are used in most of the pet foods include sugar and salt. And our pets have no need for sugar and salt. And then you'll see advertisements on the bag where it'll say, oh, we've included blueberries and vegetables for antioxidants, you know, you know, in good health. But when you read the label, look at where those blueberries are. Very commonly, as you're reading down, you read, you know, the first few ingredients, and then you start reading the chemical soup, and you'll get to salt. And then after salt, you'll find the blueberries and the carrots and the apples. And it's like, well, how many blueberries are in that 20-pound bag if it's below the salt? Two? <laughs> not many. <laughs> yeah, not many. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's a there's a whole art to being able to 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 know what's in the food. And the pet food companies do a really good job of really mislabeling it so that you can't figure out what it is. So what made you get into holistic type veterinary medicine? I mean, it's you know, it was actually kind of accidental. So a couple things happened early in my career. I, before we had Spaniels, I had Dobermans. And so when I was pregnant for my first son, so we're going to go back 29 years, we had a Doberman and I gave him his vaccines. And, you know, at that time we were vaccinating animals every year because that's what we were told was appropriate. It's absolutely not appropriate. Most vaccines actually last a lifetime. So that vaccines every year, really wrong. But but you're better. 60% of the veterinarians still vaccinate annually, which is absolutely not correct. And even the AVMA says we shouldn't be doing that, but that's beside the point. But my Doberman, I gave him his vaccines and he woke up one morning blind. I went to let him out the door and he ran right into the side of the car, just, you know, head first. And I thought, well, what's wrong with him? And I realized he couldn't see. I took him to the neurologist and the neurologist said, and I'm a veterinarian, but I had no clue what was going on. Took him to the neurologist who said, oh, your dog has had a reaction to the distemper vaccine and he has an encephalitis secondary to the vaccine. Wow. The dog spent a year on high doses of steroids and immune suppressants and the side effects of those drugs wrecked his liver, gave him fungal infections, multiple bacterial infections. I mean, it was just the year from horror, horror, horror. And I finally weaned him off all the drugs. And I said, well, I'm never going to vaccinate this dog again, because obviously he had a bad time with it. So that was kind of one of the first things that clued me in, like, maybe, and this is very early in my career. And I, and I was trained very, very traditionally. And I thought, well, you know, maybe we should be looking at this a little differently. And then that same dog, you know how when your dogs have gas and they clear the room and, you know, it's just, you know, everybody always blames the dog. Well, <laughs> when it's your husband. <laughs> but it was our Doberman and he was just bad news. And I thought, well, this, you know, obviously something's not right with this food. And so I went from one dry kibble to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And none of them solved his problem. And it, this was back in the 80s. And so finally I found a kibble which isn't the same now as it was then, but it was a no soy pelleted food and it worked. And I said, wow, I guess there is a difference in these foods. And at the time we were selling a lot of prescription diets, you know, for, you know, if the dog had kidney disease, it got KD and if it had heart disease, it got HD. And, you know, we had an alphabet letter for every disease. And I thought that that was the only way that we could treat these animals. And so I accidentally took a chiropractic course. I thought it was something else. And I'm sitting in this class and realize that I'm actually learning chiropractic for animals. And so I thought, well, I paid for the class. I'm going to stick it out. And I came home and I started using it. And it was life changing because I was taking animals that couldn't walk and making them walk. And it was kind of like, whoa, miracle. You know? Wow. <laughs> Angel sang and the lights turned on. <laughs> I kind of went, oh, my gosh. So then I started looking at all these different holistic alternatives. And I got into acupuncture and essential oils and herbs. And then I took a food therapy course. And when I took that one, the bells, the whistles, the lights, everything went off. And I really started looking into the pet food industry and I discovered how bad it is. And so then it became my life's mission to educate people about the horrors of the pet food industry and what is well and the veterinary industry and what is being done to our pets, how we are killing our pets. We think we're being good parents because we read the labels, we see the advertisements and we say, oh, look, they advertise my dog's going to live longer, run faster, you know, feel better, have a shiny coat, great teeth. I'm going to buy that food. And then when you really look into it and you discover what's in there, 
Like I can't be quiet anymore. I cannot be silent. When I started looking at the chronic diseases that our pets get from the over-vaccination, from the use of all the chemical pesticides for fleas and ticks and heartworms, and not to say that we don't need any of that, but we don't need most of it, and I don't use those chemicals on my pets. And most of my clients have, you know, that's why they come to me because I'm holistic and they want to get away from the chemicals. The interesting thing is the millennials are the fastest growing pet owning population. So it's been the baby boomers. And so we have all of us empty nesters now. And that's why we have eight dogs because we don't have kids anymore. But now it's the millennials who are coming up and stepping up as pet owners because they're putting off having families and getting married and settling down. They're, you know, kind of getting their careers and they're traveling and they're doing all the stuff that they do. So they have pets and the millennials are much more interested in eating organically. I mean, my daughter's 24 and she shops at Whole Foods. I didn't start shopping at Whole Foods till I was in my 50s. <laughs> it's like, oh, I shouldn't eat all these dyes and sugars. Huh, how about that? But the millennials really do care. So they are actually going to be the ones who are going to help change the face of the pet food industry. And the pet food industry knows that because, you know, now they're using all these terms on their, their labels, natural, holistic, whether they are or aren't. Most of them are not, but they can use the terms because they're allowed to. So, so I think the millennials are going to help change things for us. I'm yeah. Hoping. It's interesting because it, even in selling homes, I, it used to be that if you were a pet owner, that your, your realtor would say, you know, we would tell people, Oh, you got to make sure you hide the pet. Don't let, I, I sold this house once. In fact, they, the owners had nine cats. So I said, look, I can't sell this house with these nine cats. I love cats. In fact, I'm more a cat lover than I am a dog lover. And so, but I told them, you got you to gotta get, people will be turned off right away. They'll be like, oh my God, where's all these eyes of cats everywhere, <laughs> every room? So, but what's so funny is, and that was years ago, like probably at least 10, 12 years ago. But now it's like, there's a, been a shift to where now, if I know a homeowner has five dogs, for example, then I like to highlight Wow, if you if you have a lot of pets, this is the property for you. It's got two acres. It's fenced. It's got this. It's got that. You know, and and nowadays, you know, it's really because, like you said, the millennials who are the ones you know in the market buying all these homes now they're they're looking to accommodate all their pets. Yep, absolutely. I mean, my daughter and her boyfriend between them, they have two cats, two dogs, and a guinea pig. And they are going to go house shopping soon. So it becomes very important. But I will say, when we put our house on the market a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, to move in with my parents, having eight dogs and four cats in the house, it was pretty difficult for our realtor, you know, because she would have to schedule things and we'd have to say, okay, you know, we've got one dog who's not friendly. So we have to get everybody out of the house and, you know, trying to, there's no way you can say, don't let the cats out. (laughs) That just wasn't going to (laughs) happen. But people do, you know, when they would come in and they would see litter and our litter boxes were all in the back part of the basement, but they would say, oh yeah, there's been litter boxes here. And it did become a problem. And so we actually moved out of the house and moved the animals out of the house and cleaned everything out. And then we were able to sell the house without all the animals. But it, it you know, when you have a lot of them, it, mm-hmm. it becomes pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. Even really to show, hard. even to show the house. It's, yeah. It was yeah. really hard. Yeah. No, I, I, I there is a limit. <laughs> yes. You, you want to yeah. show that it's pet friendly. But at the same yep. time, yeah, you want to be able to show it and you don't want to turn off people with odors and things like that. If, if you're talking yeah. about litter boxes. and Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, see, you don't have that litter box problem. But we did have a fenced yard and the, the people who bought the house, the guy was a police officer and he had a big police dog. So he was thrilled to have that big fenced yard for the dog. So ended up working out okay. And then we moved into a house that didn't have a fence and we had to spend a fortune putting up fencing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's why it's it's been an interesting shift. As far as the, the preferences of buyers and the needs of buyers and yeah. pets are right up there with kids. That's for sure. And you're absolutely right about the millennials. I know my son and my daughter both got a pet before either one of them had. Now, my son doesn't have any kids, but my daughter does. And the, the animals came first before they ever even, you know, started having families. It's so, a good test. <laughs> I think so. I mean, although at the time I thought, well, why are you doing that? Because that's going to keep you tied down. You can't stay the night and, you know, out of town, whatever, without worrying about <laughs> worrying about the pet. Who's going to take care of the pet? So you do chiropractic type things like with pets, so just like a chiropractor would do with a person. It's very, it's very similar. And I actually have done chiropractic on birds, rabbits, cats, dogs, and horses. 
And I'm a very, I'm a very small person. I'm only five foot three. And so when I say that I do chiropractic and acupuncture on horses, people kind of get freaked out and go, how do you do that? You know, you're small and you know, they're so big. And I will admit that I've had to, you know, stand on bales of hay and stand (laughs) on step ladders or fence posts in order to get to the top of the horse. But it's not a strength thing. Chiropractic is really all about finesse. And it's the manipulation is really about getting motion back into the spine. So we're taking the spine that's been locked up. Your spine should be a slinky and particularly with animals. So with us, the bowling ball sits on top. With them, the bowling ball hangs off the end. So there's different forces on the spine. But the spine should be a slinky. So when you watch your dog or your cat run across the yard, you should see very fluid motion in the legs. The tail should kind of swing back and forth. And you should see a very loose spine. Like it should look like a slinky kind of going in all directions. And what happens, just like with us, you know, small traumas will happen and then you get muscle spasms and it just locks up that spine. So instead of running with that fluid motion, when you watch them, they look like they've got a steel rod up their back and their legs are firing like pistons. And a lot of the arthritic problems that they get later on, it's just because they didn't have that nice fluid motion. And so they have abnormal motion on their joints and pounding. Wow. So it's Uh, pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So are there other veterinarians that do all this that you do, this holistic approach to veterinary medicine? There are getting to be more and more of us. And so basically I'm an integrated veterinarian. I do traditional medicine as well. And I, you know, one of my favorite sayings is like, if I get hit by a bus, give me some regular medicine. (laughs) Take me to the emergency room and let's fix this. But what we have found is that the holistic and alternative medicine is really, really good for those chronic disease states, chronic inflammatory states that really traditional medicine doesn't have a whole lot to offer. So, you know, you've got that painful joint, that that painful back. I mean, I see this in people all the time as well. And you go to the doctor and all they do is they just throw more and more pain medications at you. And they don't look at solving the problem from the inside. So from a holistic standpoint, we are looking at how can we help the body heal itself instead of just throwing more drugs at it? Because I see it in people and I see it in animals that come to me. They've been given a lot of drugs and then they're given more drugs for the side effects that were created by the first drugs, and it just becomes this downward spiral. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is back off on all that medication, back off on all those side effects, and look for more natural ways to treat things and allow the body to start healing itself. So for me, food is the foundation of life. So I always start with looking at the diet. And frankly, about 75 to 80% of my patients, I can solve their problems with food and get them off all medications. And that's huge. Wow. That's incredible. In fact, I I find this topic absolutely fascinating because I know myself, I had experience with my daughter when she was 16 years old. She was pitcher. She was a softball pitcher and a a shortstop in, in high school. And she was playing travel ball on a very high level, anticipation of playing in college, which she ended up doing. But at 16 years old, she started having joint pain and it was migrating joint pain. So, of course, I'm thinking Lyme's. So I take sure. her I take her to the doctor. She gets tested for Lyme's disease and they said, you don't have it. It's negative. So, OK. All right. So then we, I ended up taking her to a rheumatologist, to an orthopedist. I took her to all these. She had an MRI scan. She you know, they, they, they thought, oh, it was it was frightening because then you're thinking, Oh my God, what is it? You know, it's something much more devastating even than Lyme's disease. So, so we went through this whole process and finally I took her to her chiropractor and I would regularly take her there to get, you know, her spine all, you know, nice and limber and all that for pitching, especially because you're using one side of the body more than the other. So overuse there. So anyway, he said, well, why don't you go to this, this doctor? And he said, you know, he does holistic medicine. He's a regular MD like you. He's a regular physician. In fact, he was Georgetown trained physician, but he also did holistic. So I went to him, I brought my daughter to him and he had, it was like, you know, that show house where the guy, you know, the doctor asked all these questions. That's what it was like. He spent literally like an hour asking her every question under the sun. And then he said, I think you have Lyme's disease, which by the way, people lump it all together as Lyme's, which really it's, it's a, you know, an invasion in your body, you know, you can, it could be lots of different things, but people will will term it as limes. But he said, that's what I believe you have. And he looked at her tests and he said, you have three markers. And one of them, I think it was marker 41 or something like that is, was a, a major indicator. And he said, 
these basic tests that the insurance companies will pay for, you have to have five markers in order uh. to be termed, to be deemed a positive for Lyme's disease. So they said, oh, you don't. So she was told and I was told that, you know, she didn't have Lyme's. And he said, but it's like being a little bit pregnant. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know that there's no such thing. Right. So he said, I can treat you holistically or I can treat you, you know, as a regular physician with traditional medicine. And I said, look, let's treat her holistically. And then if it doesn't work, well, then we always have the recourse of going to traditional antibiotics and so forth. So he put her on a natural anti-inflammatory and a natural antibiotic. And today she is 27 years old, pregnant with her second child. Yep. And totally healthy. She is not on any medicine, which by the way, when, she, when we took her to the rheumatologist, that rheumatologist said, diagnosed her with fibromyalgia and said, oh, you no. need to take Celebrex for the rest of your life. Horrible. She was 16 years old. Now think about that. What that would have done to oh. her. Oh my God. Awful. awful. It would have been awful. It would have been devastating and would have really impacted her health later on. Tragically. Here she was a yeah. healthy 16 year old. So thank God I listened to my own inner guide and said, yep. I don't believe these doctors and I'm going to keep going until I find one that, that rings true. And when I met this doctor, I thought, wow, this is, this is correct. And sure enough. And she's not on anything today. She doesn't even take any, any, anything whatsoever. Sure. And the side effects of long-term Celebrex are just pretty devastating as well. So you, you made the right choice. You know, and it's interesting. I went through something similar after I had my son. He was like two. So it was before I was into holistic stuff. And I had the, you know, the traveling joint pain tested for everything under the sun. And so the same thing, the rheumatologist, you know, wanted to put me on all these anti-inflammatories. So they ended up putting me on very high doses of ibuprofen, like 800 milligrams, three times a day. I ended up with stomach ulcers so bad that I, you know, I couldn't eat and I had to go through the endoscopy and the whole night. And it was just, I just felt like a guinea pig for about a year where it was just one doctor's appointment after the next. And it was just one medication after the next. And I just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I finally threw my hands up in the air and said, I am so done with this. And so I put myself on a natural food diet and just really cleaned up my act with what I ate. And even though every joint in my body hurt, I went to the gym. And I said, I am going to make my muscles stronger. I am that they are going to support my joints and I'm going to eat the things that are going to support my body. And literally within a couple of months, I felt like a new person. And then I was so healthy and felt so good. You know, within a year, I was back to, you know, running races and being energetic and being able to take care of my child. And, you know, it's the same thing. And Frankly, I feel like a lot of those chronic illness diagnosis labels that people are given are just the, well, we don't know what else to call it. That's exactly what I thought when I heard the term fibromyalgia. I thought to myself, you don't know what's wrong with her and you're just exactly. throwing out a term to call yeah. it something and then you're going right. to prescribe her Celebrex for the rest of her life. No, I just thought I'm not, that yep. ain't happening. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean... Some of these doctors, I mean, it's, it's a shame to say it, but it's like they, they look, you know, I don't know. All I know is that was a really eye-opening experience of the, the real value of holistic medicine. So I was fascinated with, with your story and with what you do for a living. Yeah. And so it's really the same for the pets. And so very commonly what I get is I get these pets that have had chronic disease and they're on a laundry list of medications. So by the time they get to me, they've been being treated for their chronic illness, whatever it is. And a lot of times by that point, we've got multiple chronic illnesses piling up on top of each other, multiple side effects from the medications and more medications thrown on. And so by the time they get to me, you know, it's kind of like it, what it would have been for your daughter if she had kept going down that road, you know, you're sitting there feeling very unhealthy, lots of inflammation, lots of chronic disease. And you just, you kind of have to step back and start peeling away all of those layers. And obviously starting earlier, like you did with your daughter is much better than, you know, so for our pets, their lives are so much shorter. So if you have a, a pet who starts showing chronic problems at six, seven, eight years old, and you keep going down that road with more medications and more medications and, you know, bad diet and, you know, chemicals being thrown at them. And then here we are three, four years later, and they're just 
just a disaster, it takes a lot longer. And so we, in holistic medicine, a lot of times we say however long it took to get that way, it could take that long plus a little more to unget that way, <laughs> which is, you know, when you're starting when they're 10, that can be a little tricky. I find that I can turn them around a lot faster because I'm one of the people that uses food. And I, I feel like food is so important. If you don't clean up the diet, I don't care what else you do. If you don't clean up the diet, you're not going to get there. Wow. It's not there. And we see that, you know, people, all these celiac disease, peanut allergies, all these allergy problems that we're seeing with people, mm-hmm. digestive problems, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, so much of that is just related to the really awful diets that we just keep feeding ourselves. Mm-hmm. All the high processed sugars, yeah. all those foods. Yeah. I can imagine all like synthetics. Do you, do you think, and this is a totally probably unrelated, but just, I just am curious. Do you think that like ADD, ADHD, any of those things, do you think there's an association with food? What's your opinion on that? Absolutely. So here's an interesting thing. When my kids were little, my son was in second grade and there was this little boy in his class who just the worst ADHD child. I mean, you know, it was a private school and you're like, man, I'm paying a lot of money and we've got this kid. He's just, I mean, he, He was just a nut. He just, you know, he could not control anything. And so his mother started going down the holistic route and she discovered that if she took all red dyes out of his diet, he was a normal child. So, you know, that meant no Doritos, no hot dogs, you know, all the things that are in kids diets. He just could not eat anything that had any kind of food dye in it. Soon as she, you know, so no birthday cakes half the time, you know, but as soon as she got all of that out of his diet, he was the greatest kid on earth and no problems. And if somebody fed, you know, if he went to somebody's house and they fed him something, he instantly turned back into a hyperactive child. And so we see the same thing in children with seizures a lot of times. And I see in pets as well, that certain things in the diet can trigger neurologic reactions. So food has a ton to do. And I'm not saying that all kids with ADHD are, you know, it's food related, but if you take those children and you put them on an organic diet without the chemicals, without the dyes, without the sugars, without all those chemical preservatives, those kids do a lot better. I can imagine it just makes sense, doesn't it? If you just, I mean, just logically, it does seem to make sense. Yeah. So I took myself to a naturopath. I had a really bad reaction a couple of years ago. We thought it was an allergic reaction and it ended up being a yeast overgrowth in my guts, which, you know, I didn't realize I had. So when I went to him, he, you know, the naturopath diagnosed that and he said, no, you have a yeast overgrowth and you absolutely cannot tolerate carbohydrates. You cannot tolerate tolerate sugars because sugars feed the yeast. And that was what was causing what seemed like an allergic reaction where I couldn't breathe. It was kind of important. Yeah. I found out that breathing, breathing is not overrated. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) When you're laying there in the hospital and they're threatening to do a tracheotomy on you, you kind of go, yeah, I think I'll clean up my act. (laughs) And so, you know, the naturopath said, well, you know, and I was tested. They had me allergy tested for everything and I was allergic to nothing. And I said, well, now, you know, so this was the traditional medicine side. I was going through all their testing allergic to nothing. And I said, so if it's not an allergy, what is it? And so I went to the naturopath and he said, it's a yeast, it's a yeast overgrowth. It's simple. Let's just change your diet. And he put me on this very, very strict diet. It was a lot of meat and I could eat all kinds of greens just as long as they weren't starchy. So, you know, salads were fine. Green beans were fine. I could eat some fruit. And so there were certain things that were on and off the list. And as long as I stuck to that diet, man, oh man, I lost weight because it, it was all. And what I realized is that I was not overweight. I was puffy because I had a lot of inflammation in my body. And so all that inflammation went away. And I so it was a natural weight loss that I didn't even have to work at. And I had more energy. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, all this was just related to the fact that I was eating things that my body doesn't agree with. And so as long as I stick to that, I feel great. So. So that, that begs the question, like, what is a typical day? What do you typically eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? So I can eat eggs, no problem. And I can eat any meats. So that's no problem. So bacon and eggs for breakfast is great. I have to not eat the toast. So the toast, you know, the carbs go away. So lunch, you know, salad, soup, whatever. It's just, I don't, I don't do well on potatoes. I don't do well on grains. He said I could have a little bit of brown rice, but even that kind of, bot- like I can tell if I eat something, I can almost tell immediately like, yeah, that's not going to be so good. Alcohol disagrees with me, which is very sad. I like wine. Well, he made the mistake of saying if you drink like triple filtered, multiply distilled organic vodka, 
you're probably okay. <laughs> he made me sick of saying that. I was like, all right, you're on, buddy. And I have to say, so I, I can drink it, but it, you know, I feel better if I don't. But <laughs> as long as I stick to the diet, so you know, dinner again, it's all the it's all the vegetables I want as long as they're not starchy. So lima beans, you know, are out, beans and peas, which I don't really like them that much. So it's and it, probably I don't like them because they don't agree. And I'm not a sweetaholic. Like I don't like chocolate. I don't oh I I know. Everybody <laughs> I don't like chocolate and I'm not a dessert person. So like we have dessert in this house all the time because my parents are, they love sweets. They eat a ton of sweets. I don't like them. So, so it's you very, like salt then? Are you a salt? I'm a salt. Yeah. Potato chips are my downfall and potato chips are not good for me because it's a starch, but they're my downfall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My mother is like 83 and she has chocolate every day. Oh yeah. My parents do I mean, too. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, my parents pretty much have breakfast, lunch, and dinner chocolate. You know, there's chocolate covered donuts, and then yeah. there's chocolate chip cookies, and then there's the chocolate bars in the middle of the afternoon, and then there's the chocolate cake after dinner and chocolate ice cream at night. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah the chocolate chips on your pancakes and your waffles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like we have similar uh, parents. <laughs> Maybe it's that generation. I don't know. But, you know, it doesn't do well with me, and I, and I don't really like it, so it's actually fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I couldn't eat all that chocolate, but I, I mean, I like chocolate, but not like that. No, that's too yeah. much. <laughs> well, so um, what else do I want to ask you? I want to ask you the ingredients that I saw on some of the videos, like that you were cooking and you had like, I think it was coconut oil and you had cinnamon, organic cinnamon, all kinds of interesting ingredients that actually looked really good as far as like what you were cooking. But I was thinking... I mean, does that get expensive or do you find those things? So it kind of depends. For those of us who are, you know, making 180 pounds of food a month, you learn how to source things. So there are co-ops. So especially for the raw feeders, but even if you want to cook for your dogs, there are a lot of co-ops, a lot of butchers. So, you know, the trimmings that they, so yes, we could call that a waste product from the human food industry, but that's still very good meat. It's not like it's, you know, horrible. So a lot of times you can get the trimmings, you can kind of, kind of get the discards of the raw feeders will feed like chicken backs and chicken necks, which are not parts that are generally used much by people. So you can get them inexpensively. We use a lot of the organ meats and they're actually a very healthy, very important part of the diet because like feeds like. So if you have a dog with heart disease, you should include heart in their diet. If you have a dog with liver disease, we should include liver. Liver should actually be part of their diet most of the time anyway in small amounts. So we have eight chickens, so they lay eight eggs a day and our dogs get fresh, organic, homegrown. Wow. I mean, doesn't get any fresher than taking no, it out of the ama- nest. It. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but we, we got the chickens because we wanted to give fresh eggs to the dogs. And when you're buying organic eggs at $6 a dozen at the grocery store, it's like, well, I can have chickens. That's fine. So there are ways to do it less expensively. And, you know, obviously we would like to feed ourselves and I would like to feed our pets organic meats and vegetables all the time. But, it, you know, there are some weeks where the budget says, I don't think so. You know, like shopping at Whole Foods for my dogs gets pretty pricey. Mm-hmm. So I, I have some mail order places. I have a place in Pittsburgh where I actually have all the meat shipped to me shipped on dry ice and we have multiple freezers for our dog food and the dogs have their own freezers and refrigerator. It makes it more doable. You know, if I was going to the grocery store and buying steak at eight ninety nine a pound, you know, it'd be hard to feed my dogs. So we have ways around that. And yes, you can buy in bulk. We do a lot of stuff in bulk and that's why we have the freezers. For somebody who has, you know, one or two small dogs, it really isn't any more expensive than buying dog food. Particularly if you're getting a high quality. So and you have products, right? I mean, you you have. I do, a- not, I do not have a pet food line. I had a pet food line that had my endorsement, so oh, okay. my name was on their packaging. I removed that endorsement in August. Okay. Because they went through management changes. I like the old management. I don't know the new management. I don't like them right off the bat, but that doesn't mean that they're bad. I just, we have a, you know, difference in personalities. I I really like the old guys who are running it. And so, so I said, you know what, I'm going to take my name off of this until I see if you guys are going to make any changes. If you make changes, then, you know, we'll have to talk about those. If you don't make changes, then fine. And I still feed my dogs a lot of that food, partly because I'm making sure that they're not making changes so that I can tell the people who also feed the food. So I'm, I'm kind of a pet food watchdog. So mm-hmm. on my website and my Facebook page, I will post when there are recalls, when there are contamination problems with food, when the pet food industry is trying to put one over on the public, I 
put that out there. I get letter nasty grams from lawyers occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine you do. I mean, that's a big industry. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and they get really crazy. And you know, now they're the pet food industry. So there's a couple of companies that are really making some inroads and taking over from some of the, you know, old original standbys that have had the biggest share of the market for so long. And so the ones who are who start to move up the ladder, the old companies will find a way to sue them over something. And so now they have lawsuits going back and forth between the pet food companies. Like we don't even have to play the game because they're playing the game themselves and they're suing each other and spending a lot of their dollars. But one of the things that I will say to people is if you see a ton of advertising on TV for a pet food company, you can bet their ingredients are not so hot because all their money's going into advertising, not ingredients. Mm hmm. So, yeah, so it sounds like you need a product line, right? <laughs> I, I telling you that. And that's why I had endorsed this one a couple of years ago, because when I found them, they were doing what I would do if I were to have a pet food company. Like they were they were at a really high level, nothing synthetic in there. And it was a frozen raw, but they also had a gently cooked. They still do. And I just love the company. And I said, well, I'll endorse you guys. And this will be a win-win for both of us because mm -hmm. my name's packaging. I get, you know, more well-known and I will endorse your product and I have a lot of followers. So you'll sell a lot of product. And so when I withdrew my endorsement, they kind of freaked out and they said, well, if you publicly announce that you've taken your name off the product, we're going to lose a lot of sales because people know that I'm the pet food watchdog. They were very worried about that. And I actually kept my mouth shut for about six weeks because I was waiting to see what they were going to do. And then I just announced that I had withdrawn my endorsement only because of management changes, not because of changes in the food, you know, partly to protect myself from a big lawsuit, too. But <laughs> mm -hmm. you, know, you have to be a little careful with things. But so far, I haven't seen changes in the food. And, you know, I'm still watching. It's only been a few months and we'll, we'll see. You know, people say that I need my own line, but man, opening up a pet food company, part of the reason I don't want to is the FDA is not fun to play with and the FDA regulates pet food. And if I were going to market a line, I would market a raw food line. And the FDA has publicly said that they do not like raw food and they have a zero tolerance for bacteria. And here's an interesting fact. When you buy meat in the grocery store, about 70% of it is contaminated with nasty bacteria. The USDA knows that. The USDA allows that. They allow it because it is assumed that you will cook that product before you will eat it. So it's okay if it has bacteria because – and that's why you get those little warning labels on there that say cook to 170 degrees internal temperature and you know, you're supposed to eat your hamburgers well done and whatever. And that's because they know there's bacteria in the meat. But for the pet food – they know it's going to be served raw, so they have a zero tolerance for bacteria, which is really a double standard and totally different standard. So we're going to feed it to dogs whose stomach pH there is very acidic. So, I mean, they eat roadkill. They eat things that have rotted out in the field, and it doesn't cause them trouble. But yet we're supposed to feed them pet food with zero bacteria in it. And that's partly because the big pet food companies are afraid of the raw food companies making an inroad into their profits. Mm -hmm. And it's partly because the big pet food companies are kind of, you know, they've got the ear of the FDA and they're like, well, if you make them do this, it'll be too hard for them to sell the product. And so they'll just back off when well, they haven't backed off. You know, the, pet, the raw food industry is the biggest growing segment of the pet food industry. Wow. So, and I also, my product would be really darn expensive because I would use <laughs> real meat. <laughs> <laughs> vegetables. So, you know, it would be really expensive. And yeah, there's a segment of the population that would pay for that, particularly if it's shipped directly to their door and all you mm -hmm. have to do is throw it in your face and thaw it out and put it in the bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a segment of the population that would do that. Or maybe even if you did just the ingre additional ingredients other than the meat. Yeah. You know what I mean? To just to make yeah. it as easy as possible. I don't know. For somebody like me. <laughs> yeah. I, that part would be a lot easier for sure. Yeah. <laughs> What advice would you give? Oh, my God, I wish my time here. Wow, I could talk to you forever. What advice would you give somebody that is has no clue but is really interested in this topic and thinking, wow, I have a dog that's, you know, eight years old or 12 years old. You know, what can I do, you know, to to feed them better foods? And what would your advice be? 
So for one thing, I would say go to my website, drjudymorgan.com. So it's drjudymorgan.com. I have tons of blogs on there, tons of information, videos. I also do Facebook Live, and now it's connected to YouTube Live, so you can get it on two different streams. Every single morning, my Facebook is Judy Morgan DBM, and I try to make every morning educational. So for the past week, we've been talking about how to interpret lab results. So, you know, you take your dog to the veterinarian, they run blood work, and then, you know, you get the results and they tell you, ah, everything's fine. Or is it really? So we've been talking about that. I talk about vaccines. I talk about different diseases. So it's just an educational forum. And then I also have a forum on my website where people can write in questions. For people who are interested in learning more about the pet food industry, there's a great website run by Susan Thixton, and it's called truthaboutpetfood.com. And just an awesome, awesome resource. And she actually posts a list once a year that you can buy, and it's for whatever donation you can give where she posts the pet foods that she would actually consider feeding to her pets. And she's picky like I am. And she actually interviews every company and has them fill out questionnaires. And if they don't fill out the questionnaire, then they can't be on the list. So that's a a good resource as well. And really learn how to read the, the labels. And I will tell you, there's absolutely nothing in the grocery store. Very hard to find something in the big box stores. The best source and best resource for pet food information is the small independent pet stores because those are the people who really do their research and they should be able to educate you. They really care. Oh, wow. That's great advice. So, and and people can go to amazon.com and buy your books. You've got four books, correct? Four books. So the first one is From Needles to Natural. And that one is a book that basically talks about holistic pet care, natural pet care, and it talks about diabetes, seizures. There's a few chapters on food. There's chapters on vaccines, chapters on how to read pet food labels, what ingredients to avoid, tons of information. That book came out in 2014, hoping to update it this year. And then I actually have three cookbooks. The latest one, Yin and Yang Nutrition for Dogs, Maximizing Health with Whole Foods, Not Drugs. And those are all on my website. If you can't find them on Amazon. And, you know, it's really just, I'm trying to educate people. I want people to understand that you can take control of your pet's health. You can take control of your own health really through food and nutrition as the the starting point. So, so you could really go on a nice health food kick for yourself and your dog at the same time, right? You can. And I have had clients (laughs) who have done that. I had one client, she came in, I had worked with her dog with cancer and I hadn't seen her for about a year and she came in and she looked totally different. I didn't recognize her. And I said, what did you do? And she said, well, I took your advice for my dog and I applied it to my husband and I, <laughs> and between the two of them, they lost over a hundred pounds. Oh my God. And they looked totally, she showed me their wedding picture and the picture of them now. And I said, oh my gosh, you look, I wouldn't recognize you. And she said, yeah, it was because you taught me how to feed the dog. I fed us. (laughs) That is so awesome. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That is so great. I, I, you really are truly inspiring. And I, I just want to thank you for, for, for letting me interview you. I think you are the longest interview I've done. It looks like oh, we've been on quite a while, but I, I literally could stay here for another, you know, hour and ask you, I have actually a lot more questions. So I'll have to ask you at another time, but you, I, I I'm going to have to really start watching your, your Facebook live series. I can't believe that you do it every single day. I, that, That is really unbelievable. But you give such great information, such great content for people. And there's so many millions of people that have dogs and cats and and horses, too. So, you know, thank you so much for all that you do. It's terrific. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah. So look for for Dr. Judy Morgan at all of her different endeavors that she's mentioned, including her books on Amazon and her website and her Facebook, Facebook Live series and and her Naturally Healthy Pets radio program as well. So this wraps up this episode of the Pitbull Patty Show. And I just want to say thank you again to Dr. Judy Morgan. And don't forget, map out a plan for your life because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So until next time, we'll see ya. 